Go ahead and have a seat. Happy springtime for real, right? Oh, man. Two weeks ago, snow and ice, 78 degrees, incredible stuff. Um, if you're here for the first time, we just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah, thrilled that you're a part of stuff. We've got some welcome books that are going by. If uh, Everybody will fill those out. That'd be great. Everybody fills them out each week. And if you've got new information, Chris mentioned uh, email, any of that kind of stuff, uh, write that in. And uh, if you're new, we can send a letter to you and say, thanks, we're not going to hunt you down or anything. And, but uh, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. That's cool. Uh, Chris mentioned at the beginning of the service, too, that uh, Courtney and John had a baby. We care about babies. We, uh, God is the giver of life. It's a really cool thing. Um, we have a great kids program, and we're committed to teaching kids eternal stuff, stuff that matters. I had a chance to go down and start that process yesterday with Elena. Uh, take a look on screen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody first service said, did she throw up on you? <laughs> she did. She was, she was perfect. She was perfect. Uh, you know, for a guy who's had six kids, it's, uh, it was an incredible thing to go down and see John and Courtney. They're doing great. Hold a little Dale baby, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Be praying for him. We, I was serious about all, uh, about all the other stuff. We got great, great ministry stuff going on um, with with kids. Good, good stuff. Uh, this week finishes our, our current sermon series. We start a new series next week called What's in a Story? What's in a Story? And each week we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables, which I think is just going to be incredibly fun to just think about what Jesus was trying to teach in that parable. Next week, the first parable we're going to look at is the parable that Jesus told to finish his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, if you've got some time this week, go home, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Pay a special attention to uh, the end of chapter 7, and there you'll find the parable that we're going to talk about next week. I'm not telling you what it is. Go home and do your homework. That'd be cool. Yesterday, we had an incredible time just living out the vision and mission of North Point. Um, we packed about 55,000 meals that will go to Haiti uh, we had close to 200 people here to be a part of that. It was really, really cool. Take a look up on screen and see what happened yesterday.
fun thing to do. We're a first world country here. We have a lot of stuff. And other people need things. I think it's great. I like missions. I like to go on missions trips. And I think it's a really cool thing to be able to pack food for, you know, this is going to like Haiti, isn't it? Yep. And I think it's a great thing to be able to give it to people in need and uh, help out. And it's a great way to get to know people around North Point. Cool. Woohoo! Uh, it just—it was a neat day. Uh, until next time. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, uh, take them out. Turn them to Philippians chapter four. We're finishing our series today called um, the what's it called? Living the dream. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm thinking next week already. Uh, living the dream. And uh, we're going to jump right into Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 10 and work through the end of the chapter. There's really kind of two thoughts that we're going to take a look at today out of this passage. Uh, we're going to look at those uh, separately. God's going to speak. Paul, Paul says this to the church in Philippi. Verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's a, that's a scripture that we hear and see a lot, right? You know, when a, when a Major League Baseball player can, can take a curveball and knock it out of the park, what's he say? Ah, oh, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When a high school kid is in class and they're getting ready to take their final exam, you can, you can hear the Christian saying, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. For us as adults, we end up in situations that we're not comfortable. Maybe we're having a conversation we don't want to have. Maybe, um, maybe we're, we're just in a difficult time. And, and, and you can hear adults saying, I can do this. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We use that phrase, that truth, a lot. But what's interesting to me is that Paul says to the church in Philippi, hey, here's the, here's the story of my life. I've had a lot and I've had a little. I've been in great situations and I've been in jail. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul recognizes that that contentment that he talks about in those three verses is contentment that is the result of his relationship with Jesus. That because Jesus is working in him, because he has this connection to Jesus that he's, that he's uh, fleshed out earlier in the letter, that he can be content no matter where he is because of Jesus. Living the dream is living a life that's marked by contentment. Living the dream is living a life that's marked by contentment. It's not in pursuing this desire to acquire more. It's not in having more. It's recognizing that God has everything that we need that God can meet every need in our lives, and He's willing to give that to us and more. 
If you look back in verse 10, Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, he says man, you guys have, have, have taken care of me. I know that you were concerned for me. I know that we've got this relationship. Um, and I just want to remind you of that. I'm not doing that so that you'll take up another, another offering to take care of me. Uh, Paul recognize, recognize, recognizes that when people get communication, their, their um, awareness is always heightened to say, okay, what's the real meaning behind this, right? He, he, he recognized that the church in Philippi could be saying, okay, yeah, Paul's saying how much he loves us, how great we've done, we need to take up another offering and send it to him. Paul says, that's not the case at all. But we experience that, right? You know, we, you have a birthday at work, they bring you in a chocolate cake, and somebody from another part of the building or from another office that's not really there for the party comes over and says, is that chocolate cake? That looks really good. I can't remember the last time I had chocolate cake. Boy, that, that icing, that looks really, really creamy. They're doing everything they can to solicit the question, to give me, can, you know, would you like a piece of chocolate cake? Paul says, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that at all right now. You guys have taken care of me. I don't need more. I've learned to be content right where I am because of Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to manipulate you into that process. Um, he says, God has blessed me that no matter what my circumstances, I'm, I'm able to live knowing that Jesus is the one who sustains me, who's the one who um, equips me moment by moment and day by day. Paul says, look at that. Paul says, I've learned to be content. I didn't re hadn't really thought about that until I prepping for this message. Paul said, I've learned to be content. That that wasn't something that was just a normal part of his personality. It was something that God had had to teach him. Uh, if you think about Paul, he probably grew up in a pretty affluent family. In Acts, Paul says that, that, um, that he was born a Roman citizen. For a Jew to be born a Roman citizen, that citizenship had to be granted some way. It was probably most likely that either his parents or his grandparents had paid for that Roman citizenship. If that's the case, that took an incredibly large amount of money. Paul would have come from an affluent family. He went to the best school. He had the best Jewish teacher, a guy named Gamaliel. Paul, Paul was like, he was up there in terms of the whole prestige and power thing. He had resources. And I think when he became a follower of Jesus, all of that went away. All of the trappings of the stuff that went with his Judaism, Paul was off on his own. And from that point in time forward, it was not uncommon for Paul to be in jail, for, for Paul to be the guest of other people. At one point in time, in order for Paul to continue to live and do ministry, he's making tents. He's, he's um, living with Aquila and Priscilla, um, making tents so that he has money with which to live. Paul had learned to be content. That word content that's there in, uh, in, uh, in Philippians is a picture, really, of, of being um, sustained by the stuff that's around. It's not having to go other places in order to be content, but having there in your possession what it takes to be content. In his book, The Virtue and the Vice, Robin Myers writes, Contentment is a deep, easy-breathing wisdom that knows what can and can't be changed and more important, knows what to do and when to wait. The contented person watches the world closely but doesn't stare it down. He enjoys things 
rather than trying to possess them or straighten them out. Contentment is not, there's some things that contentment is not. Contentment's not the same thing as complacency. Don't, don't let those terms get confused. Contentment is not, uh, it's not a false peace that's based on ignorance. Contentment doesn't come because you put your fingers in your ears and go, nah, 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 nah. it's not that kind of thing. Contentment's not an excuse for laziness. Contentment is this sense of perspective that comes as a result of our relationship with Jesus. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many tangs, with many pangs. Paul says this contentment comes as a result of our relationship with Christ. It all stems from recognizing that God, God has provided for us all that we need. We need to trust Him and to, and, and to let that relationship sustain us. I don't know where you are, but for me, I, when I was growing up, even though I grew up in a, in a great family, I didn't grow up with this sense of, of um, contentment around me. I, I, I was blessed by lots of stuff, but um, it, there was always this sense of I needed, I needed something a little bit more. So let me, let me give you some things that for me have, have helped me grapple with this idea of contentment. Um, how do you be content? How do you learn to be content? Take inventory of what you have and then be thankful. Take some time this afternoon to go home and just look at all the stuff that's around you. Look at your home. Look at the things that you have. And just reflect on that. Thank God for all of those things. Thank God for the stuff that you have in your life, for your home, for your car, for you know, the, all, the, all the stuff that's there. Thank God for the relationships that you have in your life, the people that are there. Thank God for the comforts that you have. It's a, it's a crazy thing, isn't it? That two weeks ago, everybody's complaining about the ice and the snow, right? Because it's too cold. And so yesterday it hit 78, and what do you do? Flip on the air conditioner. You know? It's a crazy thing. We, we have so many comforts around us that we just need to thank God for. Second thing, um, stop comparing yourselves to others. Stop comparing yourself to others. It's so easy to have this discontent in us because we look and we say, oh, they've got a better this or that. They've got more of this or that. They've got this and I don't have it. Stop, stop comparing if you want to be content. Third thing, understand that stuff never brings lasting fulfillment. Stuff never brings lasting fulfillment, right? Um, you know, we go and buy, anybody ever bought a new car, brand new car? It's, it's, you're allowed to, okay, they, you're not going to get hammered here. 
Here's, here's my point in that. You, you, you get all excited. You go, in the, you, you go in, you do the deal, you sign the papers, you drive off the lot with this brand new car, the smell, the whole thing. How, how long is it when you drive that car home before you get to the point that you say, that stupid old car, you, you know, something goes wrong, you have some kind of problem with it, and all of a sudden, the, the sense of satisfaction that you had it's, it's gone. Stuff never brings lasting contentment. You buy a computer today, in a month, your computer's not the newest thing around anymore. It never brings lasting fulfillment. Fourth thing, trust that God has given us everything that we need and more. This is the, this is the core. Paul says, I've, I've had a lot, I've had a little. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ is the one who makes me content because God can supply everything that we need. Fifth thing, stop thinking that you deserve more, that you've earned the right for more. Anybody go that path that you think, ah, come on, I've got an education, I've got these skills, I, you know, I'm, I'm however old you are, I should be able to, be, to do this. I deserve this vacation, this home, this whatever it is. Stop. Stop thinking that you deserve it and let, let your fulfillment, your contentment come as a result of Christ. Last thing, uh, number six. Um, jump back just a few verses in Philippians 4 and do what Paul said in verse 8. Think of good things. Think of all the blessings that you have. Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind think about those things. It's easy to be content when we're thinking about good stuff, right? So many of the thoughts that, make, that cause that churn in us, that make us discontent, are not things that are true, honorable, pure, lovely, holy, good repute, excellent. There's, those are the things that derail us. Put into practice Philippians 4, 8, and think on good things. Um, James says, every good gift, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. God is the one who provides that for us. I, I said that there are two truths in the, in the last half of chapter 4. The first is this sense that, um, that in order to live the dream, we need to live a life of contentment. That the, the, the second comes in the next 10 verses or so. Let me keep reading in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts... What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Living the dream is living a life that's marked by generosity. Paul says to the Philippians, 
man, you've lived out this, this sense of generosity in incredible ways. He said, you know, it was really good of you to help. When, when the church first started, you guys gave when nobody else did. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but when a church is planted, when a, when a brand new church starts, there's never enough of anything to go around. There's not enough people, there's not enough money, there's not enough materials, there's not enough marketing, there's not enough stuff. That's, that's our, in our current culture. When you, when you first plant a church, there's never enough. And so the tendency is, as a result of that, to turn everything internally and to say, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, and have all of your focus be on yourselves. It's that way kind of in our families, right? When you first get married, you don't have very much, and you're worried about, uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there, but you're worried about just having your family survive when the kids are little, when, 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 when you're just first getting started and you don't, don't have much money. Um, Paul says, when the church in Philippi started, you guys didn't have anything, and yet you gave to me in a way that no one else did. That's incredibly cool. One of the organizations that, we part, that we've partnered with to plant the church in Ecuador, an organization called Stadia, helps plant churches. And one of the cool things that they do is whenever a church is planted in the U.S., they take that church planter in the first year the church exists, and they take them on a trip like Jeff Kimmy and I went on to Ecuador to see what it looks like to be involved in the planting of a new church in another culture. They pay all their expenses to go on that trip because what, what Stadia wants to do with those new churches is, is, is to start that church with a DNA that has a kingdom mindset, that their focus isn't just on themselves, but it's on the kingdom at large, being a generous church. Paul says to the church in Philippi, hey, look, you guys have just gone crazy with your generosity. And I'm not saying that so that you'll give me more. As a matter of fact, I've received more than I need already. I just want you guys to, to recognize that you've blessed me and to be blessed by God in that. And if God has blessed me, He's going to take care of every need that you have as a church. That famous verse, verse 19, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Do we really believe that God has at his fingertips every resource in the world? That he has that to give to his children, to bless them with, to meet their needs? I hope so. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that I, uh, that I mentioned we're going to talk from next week, Jesus says in the middle of that, he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers that are in the field. God's aware when any bird dies. God, God is the one who gives beauty to the flowers. And if he does that, he cares about you so much more than the birds or the flowers. He's going to take care of your needs, of your physical needs. He can, take, he can meet all of your needs. Paul says to the Philippians is trust that God will meet those needs in incredible ways. Um, if you've taken psychology at any point in time, in high school, college, whatever, you've heard about Maslow, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that triangle that, 
that's there, where Maslow basically said people have five levels of needs that they have to get met, and they never get to the top ones without, without taking care of the bottom ones first. The first one's physiological needs. It's, it's um, food, clothing, shelter, that kind of stuff that, that, um, that takes them, uh, allows them to sustain their life on a daily basis. The second level is the, the level of safety, that once you have food and, and clothing and uh, shelter taken care of, the next thing that you're worried about is being in a, in a safe place. The third thing is, is love. It's a, it's a relational piece. It's that, that you want to have people around you who can, uh, who can do life with you, who, who can share with you in that way. The, the, um, the fourth one is esteem. It's self-esteem. It's this sense of purpose to who you are. And the fifth level is self-actualization, is what Maslow says. It's this sense of, I am doing what I was created to do. There's fulfillment in everything I do because I'm right where God, uh, uh, Maslow probably wouldn't say God, but I'm, I'm right where, where God designed me to be. You know, that, the, the, those needs that are there. Paul says to the church in Philippi, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He says that to us as well. My God will supply all of your needs, all of those needs that you have. A, a number of months ago, I, to, I told you about a guy I met a number of years ago, a guy named Alex Poindexter. Alex helped plant a church in, um, in Ohio, Polaris Christian Church. He and another guy helped plant this church, and, and it's a really cool story. They started with a really small group. Church grew. The, the church grew. Um, God blessed them. And several years in, there, was, um, there were some things that happened, and Alex ended up having to leave the church. He, 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 took, um, he had to leave the staff, it, and it was incredibly painful for him. He didn't have any, you know, he hadn't done anything wrong. It was, there was a fight, and, and he was the odd man out. It was, it was incredibly painful for him. Um, after Alex left, the reasons that were involved in that kind of went crazy and, and the church ended up kind of blowing up. The, the guy that he helped plant the church with left the church and, um, and, the, and the church was kind of in that path. They were, they were struggling. Um, people kept leaving. There wasn't money there. They, didn't, they weren't able to do ministry. The church looked like it was going to die. And, and the church leaders called Alex back. He'd been gone for a year, a year and a half, something like that. And they said, Alex, would you come back and be our pastor? You know, Alex carrying a whole bunch of hurt. He had to work through a whole bunch of stuff in that, but really sensed that God was calling him back to, to this church to be a part of the staff. Uh, but the leader said, there's only one thing. We don't have any money to pay you, like anything. But we want you to come be our pastor full time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there's a thought, isn't it? Um, Alex prayed about it. And he said, yes. He said, if you can take care of daycare, if you can cover the cost of daycare for our kids, I can come back and be pastor. And he did. So Alex starts back. The church is a mess. You know, they're struggling to pay bills. About three months in, they came to a, to a place um, that they had, they had this opportunity for ministry. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the, the, the leaders all had this clear sense. God wants us to do this, but we don't have the money to. We're not paying Alex anything. You know, we've got all these bills. And Alex said that their conversation went to a place that they said, you know what? Church is probably going to die anyway. We might as well take that money and use it for kingdom stuff rather than anything else. 
And they did. They made a choice to invest in kingdom things rather than on themselves. And you know what? They made it through that period. A couple months later, the same kind of thing happened. Um, uh, what happened during that, that first year or two for Alex was that they adopted this sense, that this phrase that they said, as a church, we're going to be irresponsibly generous. Irresponsibly generous. And what's crazy is God blessed them through that process. If you go to their website now, they've got four pastors on staff. God's, God's using them to do so many cool things. They say one of their pages of their website is about the value that they have of generosity. Polaris is a generous church. The church in Philippi was a generous church. We hear that story and we say, that's so cool. That's inspiring. I want to do that, right? But I don't want to be irresponsibly generous, right? I got bills to pay. I got stuff to do. I, I have to measure out what I can be generous with because I got this plan, all this stuff. Anybody there? The church in the first century was known for their generosity. There were people, because of their contentment, because they recognized everything they had came from Christ, that they could take the resources that God gave them and use them for the kingdom. There wasn't this sense of, that's my money, that's my stuff, those are my things, because they recognized that in reality it was God's stuff. And God's money, God was the one who had provided that for them. Generosity shows spiritual maturity at an incredible level. Generosity allows us to minister to people in ways that we couldn't otherwise. Generosity honors God. The church in Philippi was an incredibly generous church. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. And there he, he's talking about the church in Philippi is one of those churches. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's this picture of the, of the churches in Macedonia, the church of Philippi, that they didn't have, they didn't have anything. And yet they were, they were aggressively saying, please let us help, please let us help, please let us help. That sense of generosity that characterized the church. Why were the Philippians so generous? I, was it because of the, the example of Paul? I think maybe it was. Was it, was it because of their love for Paul? I think maybe it was. I, this week as I was processing, I think, I think that there's some element of this. I think that the, that the people in the Roman Empire heard about what was going on in Israel, heard about this teacher that taught about love in a way that no one had taught about love before. This teacher that forgave people for incredible things. This, this teacher that took on their religious establishment and called them out for their hypocrisy and didn't think twice about it. This teacher that was eventually killed, crucified. And yet everybody's talking about it and says three days later he came back to life. And then about six weeks later he floated up into heaven. And the people in the Roman Empire thought, 
that's pretty cool. It's too bad I'm not a Jew and can't connect with that story. I can't learn more about it. And Paul comes to Philippi and, and teaches there and says, that Jesus that you've heard about, that teacher, you can follow him. You can allow him to have control of your life. You can give your life to him. And I think that the generosity of the Philippians was the result of recognizing that God had saved them from a crazy world, that he had brought them and grafted them into his family. And their response was, God is so incredibly good. What can I do except give and just spread what God has given to us throughout the world? North Point is an incredibly generous church. It's a cool thing to be a part of the body here. If you think about it, just last Christmas, uh, over $40,000 given to help plant a church in Ecuador. People that we don't know yet, don't have any connection with. Uh, yesterday, we spent about $12,000 to pack meals that will go to Haiti, the people who are starving in Haiti. Well, that's incredibly generous. Um, this, in this past year, we've, we've received for our benevolence offerings somewhere between five dollars and $10,000 that allows us to take care of needs that exist here in the body at North Point and in this community um, here in Clinton County. That's cool. That's just in incredibly cool. The, we've got missionaries that are coming from Papua New Guinea to live in the, in the annex in the, in the building. We've got people who are giving incredibly nice things to furnish that place for the Chantiers. Um, we've had people give so that people can go on mission trips. We've got a garden that exists out that direction that's for the community, that we have this land and we say, you know, we've got land. If you can't have a garden on your property, come have a garden with us. It's a community garden. That's the spirit of generosity. That last year at the Oxrest, we had people picking up trash. You know, people from North Point were generous with their time. There's no, let me tell you, there's no glory in picking up trash at the ox roast. Um, none at all. But it is an expression of generosity, of recognizing what God is doing in us. How do you learn to be generous? How do you learn to be generous? First of all, hang out with generous people. Find some people who are, who are generous and just let them be a part of your life. Watch them. Watch the joy that they get as they give and give. Second, look, look for specific ways that you can help others. Wake up in the morning and say, God, where's a need that I can meet today? Help me to see it. Help me not to miss the needs that are there that, that, I can, that you can use me to meet today. And start to look for needs. Third thing, um, Focus on the need that you see and not on the impact that it's going to have on you. Because if you're like me, I see a need and think, oh, I want to do that. But then I think, I don't really have the money to do that. If I do that, I can't do this. And that's going to impact Deb. And that's going to impact the kids. And I, and I worry about all this stuff instead of the specific need. Are you there? I don't know what your money situation is, but if your money's tight, think with me for a second. If you, if you don't really have any extra money, if one of your best friend's house was to burn down today, would you find a way to help buy him some clothes, to buy him some food, to take care of their needs? Of course you would. 
you'd, because your love for them would drive you to that, and you'd take care of all that. You'd figure out how to manage all the other stuff. That's how you learn to be generous. The fourth thing is this. Start small and grow from there. Just find something little that you can do to be generous and start there and let it go from there. Let me, let me finish really with, with uh, one story. Our life group, when we lived out in Northern Virginia, had some really interesting characters. The, um, one, of, one of the guys in the group was a guy named John. Um, they had bought this, this McMansion kind of home, huge house that, that, that they had. Um, they had got it in foreclosure, had gotten it really for, for not very much money. They were in the right place at the right time, that kind of thing. So they've got this big house, but they were cash poor as a result of that. Anybody done that before? Um, you know, so they go through that. There's another guy in our group who had um, a lot of resources and, and used those financial resources to help take care of people. So John and his wife several times were in, um, were in difficult times, and this guy in the group paid for their needs. This, this, guy was, this guy in the group was incredibly generous. At one point, he wrote a check for $10,000 to cover medical insurance for somebody in the group. In- incredible thing. So, so this guy takes care of John's needs. And, and several months later, John is talking with people in the group, and, and, and he's frustrated. He says, man, I just wish I had resources like this guy so I could be generous too. And I remember because later that night as we're sitting around eating and talking after group was done, this guy pulled John in the kitchen and said, John, if you wait to be generous until you have resources, you will never be generous. You've got to start now. It may be, it may be a $10 gift card for somebody, but you've got to start to be generous now. So here's the rest of the story. So several months later, um, I'm, I'm uh, doing wedding for a couple. It's a Friday night wedding. They're doing it at, at somebody's home. Um, the friends of the bride and the groom, cool thing. They're going to do the reception inside, that kind of thing. And about Thursday, it starts to rain. And it rains progressively harder from Thursday day, Thursday night, all night long into Friday morning. About noon, 1 o'clock, I can't remember exactly when it was. On Friday, the wedding's that night, I get a call from the bride's mom. And she said, the place that we're having the wedding just said we can't come because we're going to end up tracking mud inside their house. Do you have any ideas of where we could go to do their wedding? And I said, let me make a phone call or two and see what I can do. So I called John. And John had said to me before, he said, we got this house. If ever we can use this house for the kingdom, that we'd love to do that. So I called John and said, John, at this time, it's about 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. John, um, I'm doing a wedding tonight. Um, the location just got canceled. Uh, the church that we were at didn't have a facility, so we couldn't do the wedding at, at, at a church building. I said, could we do a wedding at your house tonight? Um, John and his wife had eight kids. Um, you, you, you see in this. Uh, John, no hesitation, says, absolutely, we'll have it ready. When I got there about 5 o'clock that night, their house was spectacular. It was the most beautiful setting for a wedding that you can imagine. John and Kate didn't have a lot to be able to give away to people, but they, what they had, they were willing to use. You want to be generous? Start with whatever you have. Find a way to be generous. Find a way to be generous in little things and let God take that and bless it. Um, the, when, when we started this series and I was kind of mapping stuff out, my, my title for this last message was, Is Content 
enough? Is content enough? Is it enough for you to be content with what you have? Is it enough for you to be content with Jesus? Is content enough? Because if it is, generosity is an easy thing. It's easy to give away stuff that's not ours to begin with because it all comes from God. Paul finishes the letter with these three verses. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, they send their greetings too. All God's people here in Rome send you greetings, even those, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The Christians in the White House send their best. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You want to live the dream. Man, go dive back into Philippians and see what God has in store for you. You want to live the dream? Live a life of contentment. Live a life of generosity and see if God doesn't transform your life. Let's stand together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this series. I, th I thank you for the appreciation, for the understanding that, that we have for the church in Philippi, maybe in a way that we never have before. God, I feel like I'm connected to them in an incredibly cool way because of Paul's letter to them. God, I thank you for their example, for their, um, their generosity that just seemed to f have no ends that flowed from deep inside. God, I thank you for the promise that with Jesus at the center of our lives, no matter where you put us, we can be content. If we got a lot, if we got a little, if we don't have anything, if we're in jail, God, we can be content in that place. God, I thank you that you Allow us to live in a time and a place where we can be generous with stuff because we have so much. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Amen.